I mean, I do understand the concept of art for art's sake, but I think all art is political. I mean, whether an artist makes a choice to be overtly political or when an artist, for example, says this isn't political at all, that's still a political choice and a statement that they're making. Mm -hmm. And for me, art is resistance. I'm Samir Ahmed, and this is Election Day. Bobber woke at dawn to the Mosin's call and the swoosh-swoosh of street sweepers. He was tired, but even with the pain in his right arm from sleeping shoulder to cement, and despite the weight of memory, he felt the grace of small joys. He rose from under the shadow of the Rajabai clock tower, which sits atop the storied spiral stair vestibule of the University of Mumbai. On hot nights, the air in the tiny windowless room he shared with the other darban was stifling. The smell of their cleaning supplies and sweat-stained clothes overwhelming. So on clear evenings, he would climb the winding stairs to offer Isha prayers before drifting to sleep under the open skies, seeing the face of his beloved in the fading stars. Stretching, he felt the creak of old age in his knees. He wrapped his worn green shawl, which also served as sleeping mat, around his shoulders and adjusted the topi on his head. Patting his chest to check for the hidden pocket sewn into his shirt, Bobber smiled. He was not the ingenious tailor his wife had been, but he believed she would have been proud of his efforts, even if the money in his pocket had been obtained through deception. For what did this place, established by the British and built in the image of their great universities, stand for but dishonesty? Perhaps he was not a finely educated man, but he understood well enough that the foundation of the Raj had been a clever deceit. The idea that the Angres knew what was better for India than Indians did. He yawned and rubbed his face vigorously to wake up. He touched his hidden pocket once more and felt last evening's bounty. The nightly carnival at the Gateway of India had proven especially lucrative during yesterday's pre-election festivities. In the days before the election, Babur had observed the tourists and their habits. Then he concocted a dry bung masala, a more organic alternative to the bung lussi, he assured his buyers, than what is available at any of the government-authorized bung shops. Unlike the dozens of other drug wallas asking smoke, smoke to every staggering traveler, Babur had a marketing plan. You didn't smoke his bung or sip it in a sweet yogurt drink, but rather could discreetly mix it into your soda without risk of detection by the police. Of course, there was no such thing as dry bung masala, but Angre's tourists did not know this. Bung was a pistachio green paste of marijuana leaves blended with milk, almond, and spices. But Babur's bung was a heady concoction of crushed curry leaves and cumin, with few actual buds of cannabis. Babur carefully divided his bung into little cheesecloth potvis that he sold for the galling price of 50 rupees. The Angre's all too willing to pay for a taste of the authentic India. Babur had celebrated his fortune by treating himself to a full thali, rice, alu palak, dal, chapati, papadam, raita, chana. But he ate with a lump in his throat, remembering his wife, who had always taken special delight in election day, preparing a feast fit for the end of Ramadan and, stinging, and stringing a jasmine garland through her braid. When the last of the carnival's fireworks had fizzled out, Babur hitched a ride back to the university. This year, as ever, elections brought threats of anti-Muslim violence inflamed by the fear-mongering rhetoric of the ruling party. But Babur's wife had taught him hope. 
holding precious her pride in being Indian, reminding him that the this had been ripped apart for him to have this opportunity. The blood of his own family and so many families filling cracked earth. He remembers his mother weeping for the sister who had gone to Pakistan and whom she would never see again. This had confused him as a young boy, but five years ago when his wife died, he understood how the human body could be cleaved in two, never to be whole again. As Babur approached his polling place on foot, he heard a brass band and the joyous beats of the dhol, a barrel-shaped double-sided drum. To Babur, it was the sound of India. He took his place in line, all smiles, shaking his head as party supporters descended on the voters, cajoling, making promises, cutting deals. When at last it was Bobber's turn, a sweaty man with a district badge ushered him to the table where Bobber presented his government identification and where they marked his left finger with special ink. Bobber watched the purple streak widen across his nail into the crevices of his skin. It will wash off in two weeks, the election official assured him. The next officer sat outside the voting booth and pressed a button that released a new ballot. Do you know how to vote? He asked. Bobber nodded. He had also voted in the last election with an electronic voting machine. He knew what to do. Bobber walked outside of the school, blinking against the bright sunlight. He looked down at the crowd of waiting voters and raised his left index finger above his head. A couple lingering dole players slapped out beats and his fellow Bombayites let out a cheer, a few dancing in place. Babur had the sudden youthful urge to run down the street into the afternoon sun. He ran at full speed. He stopped at the next street, bending over, panting, hands on his knees. Wiping the sweat from his forehead with the back of his hand, Babur crossed the road to the sweet shop where he selected a barfi and a ladu, his wife's favorites. Babur marched back toward the university and his life of cleaning up after rich students, pain in his knees and days that held no promises. He walked to his spiral tower and prayers whispered to the heavens. He walked with his beloved's heart in his heart. He walked on the streets of a free India, ancient and ever new. Yeah, so we talked a little bit off air that this is for the New York Times. Um, and do you want to... Uh, tell our audience about like the pictures and like how you, the story yeah. Came so to this be. was um, actually really cool. The New York Times approached me and a, a handful of other Asian American mm -hmm. authors to write a story for a special section that they call Viewfinders. Um, and the New York Times is currently digitizing all of their photo archive. And what they're doing is they're for this project they they sent us all photographs. Mm -hmm. um, so they sent me, I think, like six or seven photos from the archives, vintage photos. And they asked us to write a story inspired by one of the photos. Mm -hmm. um, and so I chose this photo of this spiral clock tower or the spiral tower at the University of Mumbai, um, once the University of Bombay. Because, I mean, a few reasons. First, when I saw this, and in this image, there's a, a small man. He's not a small. He's small in the image. <laughs> a man looking up towards the tower. And he's just off to the left. And I kind of had this feeling of him gazing at something with a sort of melancholy, I guess. But the, the tower is also very sort of fantastical looking. It's this spiral stair. And I originally thought of doing this something as a fantasy, like this tower would be a portal or something, but I kept getting drawn back to this man and mm -hmm. what he was looking for and what his feelings were in that moment. 
And um, I also chose this photo because my parents actually met, you know, under the shadow of this of this tower at the University of Bombay when they were architecture students there. And I was born just a few miles um, away from where this photo was taken. So mm -hmm. it kind of tied into like my origin story, too. Yeah. So it just felt like um, it just felt like a good choice for the photo. But yeah. uh, I just thought it was cool because I, I generally don't write from prompts like that. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is that like. Was that a new way for you to approach like storytelling? I mean, totally. And it yeah. was just I um, I mean, I think some writers are more visual. And so maybe, you mm -hmm. know, when they see an image, it kind of sparks an idea for a story. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of times, at least I want to sometimes when I'm stuck or just sort of thinking about things, I like to sit or take a walk in the neighborhood or just sit mm -hmm. on you know the porch and kind of look around, but this was, you know, much more focused where you're just looking at these images and hoping Something. one of them sparks an idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, and I had, you know, I was just really drawn to this one. And, mm -hmm. but like I said, first I was thinking like, this could be a fantasy and yeah. I would write, and you could sort of imagine it kind of having, you know, some sort of fantastical element to it. Um, but then, like I said, I was really thinking about this individual. And there's something about, I mean, he's so small, you can't even really tell details about him. Uh -huh. <laughs> but um, I don't know, it just made me actually think a little bit of somebody that um, I remember meeting, like an older man that was, I think, friends with my grandfather that I met on a trip to India when I was very young. Mm -hmm. And that's where the name Babra comes from. And I don't know, there was something I remember, I mean, like I said, I was really little, so I don't I barely, you know how when you're, yeah. you just have those very just little snippets of memory. Mm -hmm. So, but I kind of remember something sad in his eyes. And so um, I kind of drew on that too. And that's where the story came from. Wow. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, and there's also, I mean, there's obviously, and at the time elections were actually happening in India, yeah. which okay. were just recent. Um, mm -hmm. um, and there, you know, there, as people can probably tell, there's a lot of, you know, there's elements of colonialism plus Indian mm -hmm. politics in this story. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can see how those things can just affect the life of just one person, you know, mm -hmm. and but also how one person who maybe is ignored a lot, you know, he's just basically mm -hmm. a janitor that's a, yeah. um, at the at the university and um, but how they have a role to play in democracy, too. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, I think I really enjoyed about the story is like just the grief that the character is going through and like how I feel like in in our lives like there's always like annual events like elections or you know holidays and stuff that kind of cause us to maybe reflect on people in our lives mm -hmm. or just like like you never say like when he lost his wife so right you know it could be recent it could have been a year ago or several years ago and maybe like elections just kind of like always makes him think of her yeah um, well i mean i think he says you know for her uh, sh she loved election day and yeah. you know you have to remember india has only been a democracy since 1947 yeah and so you know there's people who are alive today who can obviously remember literally yeah. when the country you know when partition happened when over a million in, you know indians and pakistan now pakistanis were killed in um, what was basically the largest human migration ever in mm -hmm. such a short span of time because of how terrible British map making was. And mm -hmm. um, I think I remember when I first, I, I mean, this was decades ago, but I remember when I first 
saw photos of elections in India. Mm-hmm. And I was amazed because people really try to vote. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it wasn't like an electronic system like we have now. And I remember seeing this image of um you know, the ballot box is literally being carried on the back of an elephant across a river to get to this small village. Mm-hmm. And I i mean, I think I was probably, I don't know, maybe I was 18 or 19 or something when I first saw that. And it just spoke to me because I was like, wow, that's democracy. Like to me, that was like everybody wanting to vote. And I'm yeah. like totally a... I'm kind of a political junkie and I'm just wanna, I'm like a huge like person who believes it. I, I mean, I just hugely believe in civic responsibility and voting to me is just such an incredible privilege. Yeah. So election day in India and in, you know, in a lot of places around the world is kind of met with, you know, sort of revelry. Like, wow, this is mm-hmm. us being able to 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 do this. Yeah. And I definitely know that in some parts of India it, it was like that and something to be celebrated. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I celebrate being able to vote. I would vote, you know, in any, I vote in every election, local, national, yeah. like whatever. <laughs> I would vote for like, if they literally let us vote for dog catcher, I'd be like, I'm going to vote for this too. <laughs> it just is, yeah. I, I think especially because India is such a, still such a young democracy. Yeah. It's really, I, I felt like when, in my visits to India when I was a kid, um, and, you know, this is a, like really a kid, like elementary school. And I remember I visited around, um, I think I visited around the time of one of the, the U.S. elections. And I remember people asking me about it, which was weird because in America, people weren't really asking me about it because I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't vote, but it just felt like that was something that they were excited about. My cousins mm-hmm. were like, oh, you know, are you guys talking about it in school? And are there posters everywhere? <laughs> and they were just so curious. And I just remember thinking like, wow, this is really something important and it has a weight but also should be something celebrated that i hope everyone does and then when i see like some of our um you know when i see sometimes like the percentage of people who are registered to vote that actually vote i'm like come on yeah (laughs) i mean i know democracy (laughs) feels old in america but it's really not that old but for Mm. young places like for younger democracies, people literally died to vote. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, yes, I'm going to get off my soapbox of voting no, now, but vote. Everyone register yeah. to vote and vote, please. Yeah, please vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it is interesting. Cause, yeah, I, I know like we're like in L.A., like, yeah, local elections, it'll be like 17 <gasps> percent. Oh, my gosh. Like, the turnout for local so elections small. is actually so, so small. And in so many um you know, counties and districts in America. I used to work mm. in schools. I was a high school teacher. And, um, you know, you have to vote for your local school board. Yeah. And there's some districts like in New York where I lived in New York State where people will vote on the school budget. Wow. And so that's so much power. when you think Yes, it is. It is actually. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah. I mean, that's something where I'm kind of like, wow, everyone should be voting for that because that's literally your tax dollars. Yeah. And you'd think like the local elections would make more people come out because it's like going to directly know, affect yes. you more. <laughs> I mean, and you actually can see the person like in your neighborhood. Yeah, you could you talk know? to them. I mean, like, you know, there's like I live in Chicago, but I, you know, I, we still have like local elections for our mm-hmm. district and, you know, our aldermen and, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I'll be like at the diner down the street and I'm like, oh, there's the <laughs> owner. And I will you can just approach them and be like, listen, why yeah. isn't, you know, the garbage pickup needs to be more on time or whatever it is. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it affects your daily life. So totally. Yeah. So I'm yes, I'm mm-hmm. just a giant fan of voting. So I was yeah. very excited that I could I don't know that somehow this image plus that sense of melancholy, which like you said, I do think we have, you know, along with our holidays where people are celebrating, there's always 
loss. Like I remember mm-hmm. when I was a kid and I um I am Muslim so I don't celebrate Christmas, but oh, yeah. um I mean nevertheless I enjoy the festivities of, of mm-hmm. the holidays, you know, mm-hmm. like I love hot cocoa and <laughs> and candles that smell like, you know, um pumpkin spice. But um I I always think that there's a lot of like carols or things that are sort of sad. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. I mean there is definitely a melancholy like to it and I I think those are the songs that I like the most like these mm-hmm. sort of like at Christmas time I'm like uh, Jingle Bells not so much but yeah. like I'll be home for Christmas you know if only in my dreams like wow that's like kind of uh, you know there's some there's this kind of seed of melancholy in it and I yeah. do think like you said that with something like Election Day with his wife who had died a number of years earlier loving it so much and like creating you know having a feast that they yeah. were getting to do this because it's, you know, they were obviously individuals who didn't have a lot of privilege, mm-hmm. but they had this privilege. Mm-hmm. And she celebrated that. And I think for him, I guess that's what I wanted to show, which is this, how it gives rise to those feelings of loss, of the mm-hmm. goneness of his wife, but at the same time, you know, remembering the joy that she had in celebrating this simple but important privilege. Yeah. Yeah, that's so great. Um, so in most of your work, do you find yourself like tying in politics um, or? <laughs> well, I I think, I mean, I think in America right now, if you are an individual <laughs> from any even remotely marginalized background, your life has been politicized. I mm-hmm. mean, and I lean into that because I want to voice my feelings about that and that's my right as an American totally um but yes I mean I think in my you know my first two novels touch very strongly on Islamophobia and um my second novel internment speaks very directly to politics because Mm -hmm. it's kind of a near future speculative um where an authoritarian president has been elected and he begins what he calls the exclusion laws and eventually we see um, Muslims being put into, uh, you know, Muslims being incarcerated um, mm-hmm. in, in camps. Mm-hmm. And obviously that harkens back to America's history with what we did and how we illegally incarcerated the, you know, so many Japanese Americans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but also even to what happened in 1933 in Germany before, you know, the full onslaught of Nazi Germany, there were laws that were passed and you know politics doesn't exist in a vacuum and it's not like you go to bed you elect someone go to bed and the next day oh fascism is here that's not yeah. how it works it you know fascism comes draped in a flag and it is piecemeal so you know you're kind of like that frog um who's already in the pot of boiling water mm-hmm. everyone, do you know that metaphor like i really see you <laughs> talking to someone about that they're like i don't know that metaphor so <laughs> you know if the frog is jumping into the pot of boiling water it's going to jump out because it's like Oh, this yeah. is too hot. But if it's in there as the water slowly starts to heat up, it doesn't realize that it's about to die. Yeah. So I guess I see it kind of that way. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think if you look at my Twitter, yeah. <laughs> you'll see okay. that um, I I I am a political person, but I think every person should be a political totally. person. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, I know like... Um, with our art, you know, sometimes it's like, it's nice to just be like, I'm making it for the sake of art. And then there's times where it's like, you're hoping to inspire other people Mm -hmm. um, or get people to think about certain things. Um, So yeah, I was curious if like- Well, I I mean, I guess I don't, 
I mean, I do understand the concept of art for art's sake, but I think all mm -hmm. art is political. Yeah. I mean, whether an artist makes a choice to be overtly political or when an artist, for example, says this isn't political at all, that's still a political choice and a statement totally. that they're making. Mm -hmm. And for me, art is resistance. Mm -hmm. And I feel a lot like I try to, you know, I write, I, I, I write young adult fiction too, and those were my first two novels. And I do think it's important to in a lot of ways, show the truth, depict the world as it is so we can imagine the world as it could be. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't I, I don't write with I hope I don't write with total bleakness. I think <laughs> I, I, I really believe it's important to put hope on every page. Yeah. Um, for whether you're writing for kids or adults, adults also need hope. Um, they do. <laughs> because I, I, I believe that hope is what can compel you to action. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I think like when you if you look at how politicians speak, there's really there's really sort of two buckets. There's the ones who use fear and fear is the emotion or the the thing they try to instill in you so that you do nothing. So you stay home and don't act. Mm -hmm. And hope is a thing that can lead to change because if you have hope, you believe that something can be better and to be different. So yeah. have hope vote <laughs> um, be involved in your communities i don't know I, I think sometimes we sit back too much and let other people make decisions for us mm -hmm. and i'm one of you know i i imagine i mean i think a lot about um you know like greta thunberg has really been a lot in the news a yeah. lot mm -hmm. but there's so many other young activists um who have been working for years on climate change in their communities um and i don't think we should leave it all up to kids to fix the mistakes that we've made. Yeah. Like, I think adults need to step up. We actually, you know, we're not dead yet, folks. So yeah. we can, um, we, there's a lot of positive changes we can make. And I think hope is the basis of a lot of that. That's awesome. So do you have anything you want to plug? <laughs> well, I do actually have um, a few things coming up that I'm really Yay. excited about. I have two anthologies coming out. Um, one is coming out on, uh, one will be out in October and one in November. Um, the first one is called Take the Mic. And it's, um, an anthology which is fictional stories of resistance. Um, mm -hmm. I actually have a kind of a narrative poem in there. Poetry is one of my first loves, so I was yeah. excited to write that. Um, and I have another anthology, I'm in another anthology called Color Outside the Lines, which is looking at um, interracial, sorry, interfaith and interracial, inter <laughs> I'm sorry, let me just say this word again. <laughs> Color Outside the Lines, which is an anthology um, with stories about interracial, interfaith, um, LGBTQT relationships and kind of exploring those, mm -hmm. um, which I, I'm really excited about. And then um, my next novel is out in April, April 7th, 2020, which it seems weird to see 2020. I but know. Um, it's coming, though. It's right around the corner. <laughs> um, and that book is called Mad, Bad, and Dangerous to Know. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Stories But Shorter is produced by Jeremy Schmidt and hosted by me, Cassie Jerkins. Hi folks, Sean Watkins here. I'm here to tell you about my podcast slash album called This Is Who We Are. That's right, it's a podcast and a record all rolled into one. 
Each episode features one song off the record paired up with a conversation with a guest who is related to that song in some way. Guests include Jackson Brown, Inara George, Kate Micucci, and the conversations aren't about these songs specifically. The songs just serve as sort of a topical springboard that hopefully will lend a little context to this new album of mine. Sort of like a modern day version of Liner Notes, only much more personal. The podcast and the album are both called This Is Who We Are. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts. Campfire. 